0: before we get started that if you have any questions um, as we're doing this relationship series if you have a question that you want answered up here we have a basket in the back with note cards and so you can write your question anonymously on there and um, so we can answer that because we have several more weeks of this study that we're going through so please don't be shy ask questions we want to know what you are asking and what you're wanting to know Okay, so today we talk about marriage and love, true love. Please tell me y'all seen this, right? I know it's old, right? Okay, it's kind of the best. Okay, so we, are, we have been going through this relationship series. And really the overall um, idea has been that God has designed us for relationship, for purpose. And when we live within this design that he has created, we actually find freedom and we live to our fullest potential when we live within God's created design. And so we've gone through the progression, we've gone from dating, we've gone from engagement, and now today we have marriage. So I have been married for almost 10 years. Um, I actually just went on my 10 year anniversary trip to Costa Rica, Um, so clearly I'm an expert. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) Anyone who's married will tell you no. Marriage is hard, and it's sanctifying, and it's one of those things that constantly requires sacrifice, but it's also wonderful, and I feel like you're always growing in it. Now, most of you, or hopefully all of you, are a very long way off from marriage, so you might be wondering, why are we having to hear about this now? Um, But I think it's good that we're hearing this now, because for me, personally, I grew up in a Christian home. I, had Christ, or I have Christian parents. They have a great relationship. They still have a great marriage. Um, so I had a great example growing up. And even for me, when I went into marriage, I feel like I had warped ideas. I still didn't have correct view of marriage going into it because I am heavily influenced by culture, as I'm sure are you, um, because we are given... Stuff all the time, right? We're so influenced by what media tells us, by our American ideals, and so we're heavily influenced by that. We get messages every day from our culture telling us how to think, how to dress, how to identify yourself, and we're surrounded by ideas of what marriage should look like. And now that it's a modern day, right, as opposed to what the archaic view of marriage might look like, um, we have ideas of what this other person is supposed to look like. So we're given stuff all the time, and so even with all these voices telling us these things of what to think, we we still have issues. And so here's some issues that we have with marriage. So first off is divorce, obviously. Um, Did you know that 40 to 50% of marriages end in divorce, Um, which is just really, really sad. And actually, in the last decade, the divorce rate has stayed about the same, maybe even gone down a little bit which is good, however, I think that's because people, particularly millennials, are just choosing to not get married at all. Um, Instead, they're choosing to live together and pretend to be married in every aspect except from the marital contract. And so, why do you think this is? I mean, I think the obvious answer is sin and brokenness, right? There's brokenness in the world that brings about broken relationships, And so people will see marriages fail and they want no part in it. Or the person puts their hopes and ideals in this wrong thing or this person or this idea of marriage. But did you know that the majority of divorces that happen are because the people just felt like they weren't compatible anymore or they fell out of love? Um, So those are some issues. And then the other one is our wrong view of marriage. And so that is two things. There's soulmates and there's individualism. So soulmates is when you think that that person is, you know, the one that they're going to complete you. Do you ever see that old um, Tom Cruise movie? I don't even know what movie it was, but he's like talking to Renee Zellweger and he's like, you complete me. Okay, please. Um, (laughs) That person is sinful, just like you're sinful. So like, they're not going to have everything that you need. You know that list that you have in your mind or maybe in your diary secretly of like everything your future spouse should have? Think about being on the receiving end of that and feeling like you have to try and live up to this list that not, no one's going to have everything on the list. No one can complete you. But think about the gospel message that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Not because you made the list or because you had everything. No, he, he loved us in spite of our mess, in spite of our ugliness, right? Because no one's ever going to complete you. Only Christ is going to complete you. And so then the other thing that we can fall into is individualism. So that's not bad in itself, right? Right? You know, you be you, like you can do it yourself, you try hard, you can do it, you put your heart to it, follow what you want, what is best for you. That's good until it goes into like, don't let anyone hold you back, regardless of what you want. Like, don't let them do that, other, they're, they're wrong. Um, but have you noticed that God often calls us to be countercultural? Because oftentimes the right thing to do is lay down your own wants and needs for the good of someone else. And marriage is very much about sacrifice and self-denial. It's not about all about you and what you can get out of it. So enough about how we fail and our issues with marriage. But let's talk about marriage and what is it. So I have like a thousand quotes from Ben Stewart up here. So I hope you like Ben Stewart. Um, this is what he says. God designed marriage to be a picture of Jesus and a pursuit of Jesus. In this way, marriage reaches its fullest potential. The strongest bonds are formed when a man and woman live out their marriage on mission together. So today we're talking about marriage as a picture of Jesus. And next week we're going to talk about marriage as a pursuit of Jesus. So our greatest freedom and our greatest potential is achieved when we operate according to God's intended Design. So when, so keep this in mind because in a few minutes we're going to talk about men and women's roles, and I want you to remember that, that our full potential and satisfaction within marriage can be reached when you live out the way that God has intended. So not everyone in their life is going to get married, right? God doesn't demand that you get married. In fact, Paul even talks about the benefits of being single and how honestly it can help you be wholly invested in God and not be distracted as sometimes you are if you're in a relationship. Um, however, God did create marriage, and he gave us this beautiful gospel picture in it, and so we're going to look at why, and we're going to look at how it's lived out. So we're just going to start right at the beginning, in Genesis 2. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Genesis 2. It's the very first thing you'll open it to. So in Genesis 1, we see God create everything from nothing, right? We see he creates the heavens and the earth and then we got the sky and the ground and we have the birds and then we have the fish and then we have the land animals and every time he says it's good right he says behold God saw that what he saw what he had made and it was good it was good it was good he says it seven times but then he makes man and man is alone and it is not good so in Genesis 2 verse 18 it says then the Lord God said It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to the beasts of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last, is bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken from man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So, Adam's sitting there and he has all the animals coming in front of him and he's naming all these animals, right? And there's not one of them that is good enough to be his companion. Not one of them is, is helpful enough. Not one of them is good enough. And then God brings Eve into the picture and Adam basically breaks out into song. I mean, he's like pumped, right? So he finally has his companion and he finally has this other part of him that was missing. Because in Genesis 1, God tells man to have dominion over the earth. And Adam was not able to do that alone. He needed a partner. He needed someone. He needed his wife, both of them together to be able to have dominion and order over this created order that God has made. And it says in Genesis 1 that God made both male and female in his image to multiply and fill the earth and have dominion over it. So they're both created equal in his image and the man and woman are each other's complement and counterpart. So God created us not just for relationship with himself, but he created us for, for relationship with others. So why? So God created marriage for our delight and for our joy, but he also created it to display God. The, there's a quote that says, marriage is not just designed by God, but it is meant to display something about God. So Paul talks about it like this great mystery, right? It was hidden, and now it's revealed. And so marriage is a union of two different people, a man and a woman, and it's the representation of Christ, how Christ unites his people to himself. So I'm going to say that again. It's a representation of how Christ unites his people to himself. So it's a symbol and a living example of the union of Christ with his bride, a.k.a. God with his people, his church. So because... The gospel message is what? Christ sacrificing himself so that his people could be with him and belong with him. So when you see the way a husband and wife relate to each other, you should see God's love for humanity. And just like marriage is a commitment, this is a picture of the covenant relationship between God allowing his people to be with him. So this is the image. So the way that a husband loves his wife should show the world how Christ loves his people. And the way a wife loves her husband should show the way God's church responds to God. And so when people see a marriage grounded in faith, it should just scream God's love for creation and for his people. So now, what does marriage look like? How is it lived out? So we're going to look at the two roles here, the husband and the wife. Um, Now, in a few weeks, Dave is going to do a whole talk on just the guys. And then the next week, I'm going to do a whole talk on just the girls. So I'm not going to get super in-depth here. So just remember that we'll go even more into this in a few weeks. Um, But remember in Genesis 2, when it says God created man and woman. So both in God's image, both equal in value and importance. But he did give us a different role, just as you consider how Christ and the church have different roles the, man, the husband and the wife have different roles, and yet they're complementary of each other. Because God made men and women different, don't you think? I know the world sometimes tries to tell us that's not true, but I feel like if you go back to your years on the playground when you're in um, elementary school, right? I mean, think about the, the differences of games that you would play. I mean, my daughter is in first grade, and, and the boys are over here, like, running races against each other, and then they were, like, taking turns, seeing how hard they could pull each other's hair. Um, true story, because my daughter was, like, front row seat to that. And then the girls over here, are, like, playing mermaids and unicorns. I mean, very different. Now, that's not to say you can't have similar interests or, you know, common things. I mean, my daughter always hangs out with the boys, always. Um, I don't know why. But... Uh, But even if I think about like the development of my son and daughter, like I see differences there. Like, my daughter will just sit for hours and make all the crafts and creations and aqua beads and unicorn crafts, and she has to give everybody a gift. If you've ever babysat her, you have had a gift from my daughter, whereas my son is, like, running circles around the house, tearing apart literally everything, guys. He's like a puppy, um, like, tearing the pillows down, and then he comes up to me, and he's like, I'm a ninja superhero. You're the porcupine bad guy. You're going to jail. I mean, this is every day. I have been in jail so many times, which really what that means is I go into a room, they like, he closes me into a room, and so I have to sit there and drink my coffee by myself while he saves the day. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'll go to jail, but I've been a porcupine bad guy, I've been like a dinosaur bad guy, I've been a goo bad guy, a goo robot is what I was the other day. I mean, you name it, he is always destroying, or is he is taking taking it down, or he is saving the world. I mean, They're just very different. And my husband and I are pretty opposite too, in a lot of ways where I'm the like optimist realist. I'm over here like, we should go backpacking through Europe. And he's the pragmatist, he's the pragmatist realist. I'm the optimist dreamer because he's like, sure, we have to have money to do that. And I'm like, well, couch surf, it will be fine. Let's not think about the future. Um, So they say men's minds are like waffles and women's are like spaghetti. So, so like, which is, I've seen is pretty true. So men, y'all were able to like focus on this one thing and I could get this wrong because I'm not a man, clearly. So like you have this box, right? And so you're gonna focus on this one topic in your box and you're gonna like, you, he, my husband has great focus on this topic and he will like finish it and then we move on to the next topic. Whereas girls, do you see where I'm going with this? are like spaghetti, literally everything is connected. I mean, every thought, emotion, all my my background, my history, you know, my dog, my pet, my friend's dog, like it's all connected, guys. And so this is actually when my husband and I will have the most communication issues, right? Is because I will start telling a story about Riley and then that reminds me of this other story, which also reminds me of this other story, which somehow I end up starting to talk about my pet fish and then he just looks at me and he's like, you spiderwebbed me. Like I have no idea what you are saying. And I'm like, come on, clearly Riley's school relates to the pet fish. How did you not get there? Um, I mean, like, come on, girls, surely you see how like this tracks, right? Um, but Ben every time is like, I have no idea. I, wh- what are we even talking about? I don't know. Um, and so anyways, so men and women's minds can work a little differently. But honestly, how cool is it that God created men and women so differently? He gave us different gifts. He gave us different talents, different strengths, different weaknesses, different ways of thinking that complement each other, that benefits each other better together than apart. So the man and woman are meant to complement each other with different roles and different gifts. So let's see what God says to wives and husbands, and we're going to look at Ephesians 5. Now, in the beginning of Ephesians 5, God is calling us to be imitators of Christ. So he is giving instructions of how to live out this new life that we have in Christ. And so he's saying in every aspect of your life, there's a new way of living. We are called to submit to Christ, and we are called to represent him in everything you do. And so he's saying these, this role, whatever role you find yourself in, this is how you live that out. So then he first addresses wives. So Ephesians five twenty-two, <clears throat> Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to her husbands. Now, when you hear the word submit, I think of a dog, right? Where you're like, sit, stay. Don't think, don't talk, just be. Okay, hear me out. That is not what is going on here. Not at all. And I understand if you might have a bad taste in your mouth with that word, right? Because I did the same before I really understood what God was actually meaning by this. Because our culture very strongly pushes against this word. Um, and it has also been abused many times in the past as well. And again, we are going to talk about this more in the women. But this right here is why it's so important for you to actually study your Bible. Because if you just drop in on a passage like that, you're like, what? Um, As opposed to starting a book of the Bible from the beginning to the end. That way you can actually understand the right meaning in the right context. So let's look at submission. First of all, what is it not? It is not subjugation. So here's a definition for subjugation to bring under domination or control, especially by conquest, to make someone or something subordinate to. I mean, romantic, right? Yeah. Uh, Nowhere in the Bible does it say anywhere about forcing someone to submit. It's not like God goes up to Adam and he's like, make that woman submit. No, no, no. So the word submit is actually written in middle voice, which basically means, that the person is doing the action of the verb himself. So the woman is choosing to submit herself to her husband's leadership. So she's choosing to follow him and let him take the lead and make those decisions for the good of the family. So submission is also not servitude. Um, The Bible never says that women are second-class citizens. I mean, remember Genesis 1, the very first thing God says is male and female created in God's image. They are equal. Now have we seen in history women be second class citizens? Absolutely. But was that God and the Bible telling them that or was that the broken culture around them putting them in that position? Think about it. So women have equal value and worth to men and it does not mean that they are less than. Wives are not meant to exist only to serve their husband. They just simply have a different role in this situation. So what does submission mean? It means to order yourself under another, to accept leadership, or to recognize and respond to your husband's leadership. So right before this passage in verse 21 in Ephesians, it says that we are all to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. We all submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we all submit to the leadership of Christ. And God has given us this beautiful gospel picture of Christ's relationship with the church. And so the woman willfully chooses to submit to her husband's leadership in their marriage. Now, what if your husband decides to become a drug lord? I mean, that's a bad example, right? But you don't, right? You, you We submit to Christ first, all of us, so you don't follow your husband into sin. Or if there's an abusive situation, you get out of there. But this is actually why God made a partner because they need a partner to speak truth and come alongside him because living life and raising kids is hard. So the wife actually has an important task of being his support in there and that we'll even see more in a few weeks. But Jesus even models submission. I mean, he chose to submit to his parents, even though he's the Lord, right? So he probably already knows what's up. But he chose to submit to his parents' leadership. And also think about, like, an organization or if you're in a group project. If there's a lot of people trying to be a leader, like, that doesn't work. It also, you're just not going to get stuff done. Somebody has to take responsibility um, in order that, for that to go well. And everyone answers to someone, and we all answer to Christ. There's another quote that says, Fuss, submission is not a statement about worth, value or equality rather submission is about organizational structure it is the acknowledgement someone has been given responsibility that someone else must come under it's simply a partnership with different roles okay so the men Ephesians 5:25 says So the man is supposed to love like Christ loves the church. So he's supposed to pour himself out and sacrifice everything for the good of his wife. So I call that servant leadership. And this word love here is the Greek term agape. So it is not referring to passionate love. It's not referring to like a familial love. It's also not a brotherly love. It is a much higher love. I have another quote. Agape love is a binding, covenantal love, like the kind of love God has for his people. It is a love that commits to the other's good and swears to never let go. You don't fall out of this kind of love. Passions can rise and fall. Agape stays. So this is the kind of love that men are called to give. And I mean, the wife should too as well, right? But here in this picture, God is saying that to love like this, like Christ loves the church. What did Christ do for the church? He died for the church. That's how much he loves us. So that doesn't sound like lazy leadership to me or like a selfish dictatorship, right? Or, or a passive, like Michael Scott sitting in his office wondering like, what are you actually doing with your life kind of leadership? This is a proactive, loving leadership. The kind of person that you want leading you. So as a servant leader... The husband initiates, because think of this: with Christ, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We were not attractive to Him; we were His enemies to Him, and yet He still came and died and served us, um, even in our mess. And so, the husband is called to do the same, whether or not the wife is living in a way that that deserves that kind of devotion then the husband also provides and protects. So he takes care of her in the way that he would take care of his own body. So we all love ourselves, right? Like, you're going to take care of your body. You want to nourish it. You want to protect it. So the husband is to love his wife in the same way as much as he would himself. So that means taking on any burdens on himself in order that she can reach her fullest potential in the Lord. So the My quote says, husbands initiate and sacrifice so that their wives can flourish under God. So this is a heavy weight to bear, honestly. I mean, that is a big responsibility of daily self-sacrifice that puts someone else's own needs and desires above your own. But honestly, there is a call to sacrifice and submit on all sides just as there is at any point in our life, right? If you're going to recognize God's authority in our life, then at some point in your life, you have to lay down sinful desires. You have to lay aside things that take away from your relationship with God. And it's not easy to choose to sacrifice or make that commitment for another person or to pour yourself out for the good of the other, whether that is laying yourself down and allowing them to take lead and be their support, or that means taking on the burden of for the other person, so marriage is a mutual commitment to lay down your life for the other person. So there's a um, a quote that I found from a sociologist named Anne Swidler. She is a she teaches sociology of religion at Berkeley. I don't know if she's actually a Christian, but she studies religion. And this is what she had to say about Christian love. It says in the evangelical Christian view, then. Love involves placing duty and obligation above the ebb and flow of feeling, and in the end, finding freedom and willing sacrifice of one's own interest to another. Christian love is, in the view of its practitioners, built on solider stuff than personal happiness or enjoyment. It is first a commitment, a form of obedience to God's word. In addition, love rests less on feeling than on decision and action. Real love may even, at times, require emotional self-denial, pushing feelings back in order to live up to one's commitments. So while there is great joy and happiness in marriage, it often requires laying down your own needs for the good of the other person. So I have a question for you guys. What is this? This is not a trick question. It is a phone. Oh, it is my husband. I'm sorry. What is this? It's a phone. Yeah, not the picture. This is a phone, right? What is it used for? to communicate with the whole world. Okay, so what if I put butter and jelly on it and try to eat it like toast? That's funny and also disgusting and also would probably break my teeth, it wouldn't work. What if I decided to use it as a toilet scrub brush to clean my toilet? Not only would it not clean my toilet, but this would now be broken. Um, So there's a reason why when you see commercials for iPhones, they don't show people eating toast, eating it like toast. They also don't show people using it as a toilet scrub brush. They show it with people communicating to other people on it. And that is because that is the intended design and purpose of the phone. Because they know that if people use it the way it's intended and for its purpose, then they're gonna get the fullest satisfaction and potential out of the phone right? And so the same goes for us. When we think about our life and we think about relationships, we think about marriage. God created us for a purpose with an intended design. And if we live that out in the way that God has created us to live, then we reach the fullest potential and freedom and satisfaction in life because we're living it the way that God intended us to live it out. So does God's design actually work? you might ask because we see divorces we see brokenness but you know statistics statistics actually show that a couple that is actively following after God are have a much lower divorce rate but we live in a broken world there will be broken relationships are you broken and a sinner right now yes so are you going to be broken and a sinner before you get married yes so Do you think that you can expect to live out marriage or relationships perfectly? No. So that's why we so desperately need the sanctification of Jesus and for him to be the foundation of any relationship we have in order for it to work and thrive in the midst of brokenness. Honestly, though, when you look at a marriage that is living out the way that God has intended, you see leadership, you see respect, you see submission to Christ. The marriage thrives, and the world gets to see this beautiful gospel picture. So God created marriage for a purpose of showing the world just how much he loves them. So the...